0: Mark chapter 1. Last week, we started towards the end of Christ's life because we're reminded that the birth of Jesus is not uh, just a punctual event in history that came and that it went. Instead, the birth of Christ is intimately tied with his purpose in coming, that is to die on the cross for our sins. And so we're starting at the end. Last week we looked at that last supper, the Lord's Supper, when it was begun for us. We took the Lord's Supper together and celebrated the fact that we can remember that God is with us. He is present with us. He's not far off. He cares for us and never leaves us. Working our way backwards then, we're going to uh, continue to move closer and closer to the manger. And we're going to be talking this morning uh, about the fact that God is for us in looking at the ministry of Jesus here on earth. Now, when we talk about the ministry of Jesus Christ, that's what the entire gospel books are written about. So you get the first couple of chapters talking about his birth and his baptism, and and we'll get into those, but even in the case of Mark, you don't leave the first chapter before you dive into his ministry, and the majority of the book is talking about the ministry of Christ here on earth. So, obviously, it's very difficult to pick just one moment in time in Christ's ministry. But I've decided to start all the way at the beginning of his ministry, early on, because he talks about the purpose of his ministry, why he came. And so we're going to read together Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, and we're going to see that God is for us. Follow along with me, if you will, in your copy of God's word. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why. I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So in Mark chapter one, Jesus takes some time to begin his ministry each day by getting away from everyone, spending devoted time in prayer. And while he's back there praying, the disciples who, as you read the Gospels, you find are a bunch of knuckleheads and and really are are a lot like us. They doubt, they question, they, they don't always know what's going on, they don't get it. They can't find Jesus and they're thinking, where are you? They go and they seek him out and they say, everyone is looking for you. Jesus doesn't say, oh, everyone's looking for me. Then I guess I better go appear to them. Jesus doesn't say, oh, everyone's looking for me. So I need to give them what they expect. Instead, Jesus just says, "Okay, let's get on with the mission. Let's go to the next town. Let's proclaim the word of God, because that's why I came to proclaim the word of God. And then it says he left and he did two things as he went from town to town. It says, for starters, he went out and he, he preached good news. He preached a message of repentance and salvation, and that he did healings, that he healed the sick and cast out demons, and he met physical needs. So I'm going to look this morning at the ministry of Jesus Christ. What did he do? What was his purpose? And, and is that ministry still the same Today. For starters, I want to go to the obvious. Most of the ministry of Christ that we read about in the New Testament is his care for physical needs. Jesus cared for physical needs. And this is important because when we think about the ministry of Christ, we almost always think of his healings. We think of his miracles. We think of making the, the lame walk and the blind sea. We, we think of Jesus seeing the physical needs of people and meeting them. Maybe you think of Jesus seeing 5,000 men and their families who were hungry for lunch and performing a miracle to tangibly meet their physical hunger. We think of Jesus and his physical needs way more often than we think of his proclaiming of the gospel because that's what we read and focus so much about. I think it's important for us today to realize that Jesus desires to meet and care for your physical needs. I'm going to show you an example of that just a little bit further in Mark chapter 1. As a matter of fact if, if you're uh, with me and following in a copy of God's word, look down in verse 40 and 41. The very first instance of his ministry we read after Jesus is done praying and says let's go out to the next town is in Mark 40, uh, Mark 1, 40 and 41. And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling said to him if you will can you make me clean so, so the, the, the question is Jesus can you heal my physical need in verse 41 we read this moved with pity he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him I will be clean." So the very next set of verses after Jesus says, I came to proclaim the gospel, what is the very first thing he does? He sees a leper, he feels pity, he reaches out, and he physically heals him. We are going to be a little Bapticostal this morning. Is that okay? Is that that okay if we get a little little looser and a little more free? Can we move a little bit and, and maybe shout an amen every once in a while? I want to tell you something that not every Baptist preacher wants to tell you. Jesus has a desire to meet your every single need, every single one. God has a desire that you would be physically well off. Now, I want to back up a little bit because we are Baptist. So we're not crazy, okay? Jesus does not have a desire to make you rich for the sake of making you rich, Jesus does not have a desire for you to have a certain level in your bank account, nor does he have a desire for your health to be at a certain level and your blood pressure to be at a certain level. He doesn't have a desire to make everything perfect in your life. But we have to understand that Jesus did go about meeting physical needs, and that has not changed after 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, I believe wholeheartedly that God's desire is for you to be abundantly happy and joyful. That is his will for your life. Now, your understanding of what that means and God's understanding of that, what that means may not be the same. But God's goal is to save you and let you spend eternity enjoying him. Think about this for just a minute. How selfish does this sound as Christians to stand up here and proclaim the truth from Scripture that God's will is for you to enjoy Him forever. Your enjoyment and your happiness for all of eternity. That is God's will for you. I encourage you just a couple of weeks ago to go through a study we did on joy on Wednesday nights. It should be streamed on Facebook and on YouTube. You can find a previous Wednesday night study. This understanding that God has a plan of rewards for you in the next life. That he literally says, pursue ultimate joy and happiness at whatever cost it may be. Cast everything else aside and strive for joy and happiness because God has that for you. Our problem is we get so wrapped up with this truth, yes, truth, that Jesus cares for our physical needs and desires our happiness that we lose sight of what makes us happy. Because you and I have an understanding of what we think would make us joyful and happy. And it's not the same thing that God knows will make us happy. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. And I caution because I don't want this to be a a wealth and health sermon. It is not. But too often we forget that Jesus has a desire to answer your prayers and care for you. That Jesus does have your well-being in mind that Jesus actually wants you to be healthy and live a long faithful prosperous life that God's desire is that you would know him and enjoy him for forever. And so with confidence you can pray, Lord, heal me. With confidence you can pray, Lord, help me in my my financial struggle. With confidence you can pray, God, allow me to have that job that I'm I'm trying to to apply for. God, help me to, to prosper. You can pray with confidence knowing that God's desire is to meet every single one of your physical needs. And like a good father, he not only wants to meet your needs, he wants to spoil you. The New Testament talks about him giving you abundant gifts. God cares for your physical needs, wants to meet your physical needs, and we should confidently ask him, but I want to understand that Jesus' ministry was actually not primarily focused on physical needs. I, I wanted to address it because it's there all throughout the New Testament. But that was not Jesus' primary primary reason for coming. While Jesus cared for physical needs, he focused on spiritual needs. His focus was on the spiritual needs. I. Watch the movie Cars about 100,000 times in the last two or three years because my son is obsessed with the movie Cars. And in the movie Cars, there's this one character named Luigi. He's a Volkswagen Beetle, and he owns the tire shop. And he's Italian. He's got this bravado about him. He's just kind of uh, uh, know-it-all. And at one point, Lightning McQueen from the movie Cars goes in to get a new set of tires, and he says, give me the best set of blackwall tires that you've got. And Luigi looks at him and says, no, 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 you don't know what you want. Luigi knows what you want. and So he gives him the, the tires he needs. Luigi, that's right. Sometimes I think when we ask God to meet our physical needs, God looks down at us like Luigi does, and he says, no, 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 you don't know what you want. God knows what you need and what you want. Our desires are, are from a limited perspective, but God knew that that our spiritual need far outweighed our physical need. And so Jesus focused on the spiritual need. Just flip over to the very next chapter in Mark, Mark chapter 2. What we find is, is there are four friends of a paralytic man who want to get this man healed. They've seen the leper healed, they've seen other miracles, and so they go through this, this huge ordeal to cut a hole in the thatch roof and lower their paralytic friend who cannot walk down in the midst of the house that Jesus is in. This is a, a major ordeal just to get this man's physical need met. And in Mark chapter 2, when the man is lowered down in this, this huge emphatic scene, Mark 2 verse 5, Jesus responds this way. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, now read with me on the screen, son, get up and walk your healed. Is that what it says? Son, your sins are forgiven. After this whole ordeal, I can imagine the four friends who lower him down go, that's great, but we didn't lower him down for that purpose. Meet his physical needs. Like, Jesus, we want him to walk. But Jesus looked at that man. He said, I see the faith of your friends, I see your own faith. You'd go through anything to get healing. Let me address what you really need. You're not a man who's looking for for a temporary uh, strength in your legs. You're a man who needs an eternal healing. You're not a man who, who will benefit most from being able to walk on this earth. You're a man who will benefit most from being able to run in heaven. And so Jesus looks and he doesn't say, get up and walk in this moment. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He focuses first on the most important. Now, everyone around him hears Jesus say your sins are forgiven, and they start murmuring and muttering and complaining. Who does Jesus think he is to say your sins are forgiven? Who are you, Jesus, that can forgive sins? And it says that Jesus perceived their thoughts. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he looks at them, and he asks them this question in verse 9 through 12. Which is easier to say, the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. What is easier to actually say? Well, to say, get up and walk would take a miracle, so that'd be pretty difficult. It's easier to speak the words, your sins are forgiven. But then he goes on to prove that he is able to do both. Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. It's amazing to me that Jesus performed two miracles here. Two miracles. One, the man who was lowered had his sins forgiven. He no longer was in condemnation. His faith in God made him well and saved spiritually. There's a miracle beyond anything else Jesus could do. And two, Jesus says, get up and walk. And between the two, the one that is celebrated, the one that makes them stand back and say, we've never seen anything like this, is the fact that the paralytic is up and walking. As we read this, can, can we utter these words as well? Jesus, I've never seen a God do anything like this. Not that you make someone walk, but that you would forgive the sins of someone like me and this paralytic man. I can't imagine the the amount of grace and forgiveness it takes to look at my own sinful heart and say it's wiped clean. This is what Jesus focused on. This was his purpose for coming. This is why he says my purpose is to go and to preach Into each city, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus did not focus on the physical. The physical was always a means to reach people's spiritual hearts. You see this over and over and over again. So there's a woman at the well who needs help drawing water, and he helps her draw water and talks to her about giving her this living water that she'll never thirst again. She thinks, Great, you'll meet my physical thirst. And Jesus says, No. If you know the living water I'm talking of, you would worship God in spirit and truth. You need the spiritual cleansing. Over and over and over again, Jesus uses the physical to address the spiritual. There are times in your life where Jesus does not physically answer your request. And it's because his focus is not on your physical well-being today. His focus is on your spiritual well-being for all of eternity. And so, when we think about the ministry of Christ... God knows our deepest need is salvation from sin. God is working for you physically, God is working for you spiritually, and between the two, He knows what's most important. He he knows what you need. Back in verse 38, we read it just a moment ago, He tells us His purpose. He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. Not to heal, not to feed, but to preach a message of repentance, a forgiveness of sins. Far too often we confuse these two, these two ways that God is for us. We focus so much on the fact that that God meets physical needs, that we abandon our own need for salvation from sins. And it's not only happened to to a lost world where they've lost sight of why God has come to earth, it's happened even in our churches. We talked just this morning in our small group about how, how far too often a tragedy causes people either to run towards God or run away from Him. And so what we see is when our physical needs are not met, we have two responses. One is to say, God, how dare you? You met physical needs in the Bible. Why don't you meet my physical needs how I want them now? And we turn away from God. Instead of saying, God, you are working my greatest need. And that may mean I suffer. That may mean I hurt. That may mean I do without. That may mean I'm not able to, to have all that I want to have here on earth. That may even mean I don't have all that I think I need here on earth. Father, I I realize that I can trust you even when my power bill is about to be shut off. I can trust you even when my loved one is suffering with cancer. God, I can trust you even when my relationships are being splintered. God, I can trust you when my whole world seems crashing around because while my physical needs are not being met, you know what's most important. Too often, we as Christians focus on the physical and stay away from the spiritual. Just this week, I heard about a new denomination that's forming. Breaks my heart to read about this denomination, who's trying to pull churches from a a more mainline denomination. And it's a a fairly big schism in one of our sister churches, uh, or denominations anyways, Listen to this denomination they're forming and, and about this denomination. It says, Correct doctrine, in other words, spiritual emphasis, correct doctrine is less important to the new denomination than correct action. You know what that means? What's less important is what we believe and more important about physical needs. Are we doing the right things? Here's a, a quote from one of their their founding leaders. We seek not answers that lead us to correct doctrines as to why we suffer. We seek correct actions, correct praxis, where God sustains us during the unanswerable questions. In other words, we seek to see the physical needs met regardless of the spiritual need. One more quote, and this is the one that that hurt me the most. Talking about this new denomination that's forming that quite likely will pull several churches that we uh, that we would previously have have partnered with there is no doctrinal litmus test in this movement we are moving beyond the supremacy of a single belief system this is what we can become when we focus on the physical and not the spiritual this is what happens When we as Christians decide Jesus only came to meet the physical need, we see suffering and we think that's what salvation is, to escape the suffering. Jesus came for one purpose and one purpose only, to tell us I am for you and your happiness and your eternal well-being so much so that I will meet your physical needs when I need to, but I will let your physical needs suffer so that your spiritual needs can be met. We worship a God who cares more about our eternity than our temporal. Cares more about our salvation from sin than our salvation from a pandemic. So this morning, I I want to tell you, God is for you. When you're hurting, when you're suffering, when things aren't going the way you want to, don't forget, God is for you. When your world is crashing around, you think all is lost, we're reminded that God is for you. This morning, maybe we examine our hearts and say, God, I surrender to you my physical life. Lord, I ask for blessing. I ask for health. I ask for well-being. But most importantly, I surrender that to you so that you can work salvation in my heart today. Let's pray together. Father, I'm brokenhearted and burdened thinking about how many years we have wasted seeking a physical healing, seeking all the wealth and prosperity, seeking goodness in this life right now. Lord, I'm burdened to think that right before us, the greater miracle was being done and we rejected it. Father, I thank you that you are for us. When we suffer, you're working for us. When we're hurting, you're meeting our spiritual needs and calling us to you. Lord, as we think about your ministry and your coming to earth, when we think about your birth, it was with the purpose of meeting our most intimate need, the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Lord, in every and all circumstances, we praise you because you are for us. Lord, we pray that we would surrender to you now sacrificing our temporary happiness when need be so that we can secure in our faith in you an eternal blessing that you've promised for all of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.